Hey, you're listening to Blue Jean Church's podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. To learn more about Blue Jean Church in Selma, Alabama, visit us at www.bluejeanselma.com. Controls the wind and the rain, the wind and the rain and the waves. Yes, and needless to say, sitting there on the beach, creation was speaking loudly to me on behalf of God. You know, the Word tells us about that. Uh, is He all-knowing? Uh, there are no surprises to God. Yes. Is He always amazing? Yep. He goes beyond physical limitations to accomplish His goals and purposes. Does he always do what he says? Yes, he is trustworthy and faithful. Is he compassionate and loving? Well, he sent Jesus to die for me, and uh, he's available anytime I need him, if I will look for him. Um, Do I walk in, uh, is he compassionate? Okay, so that's who God is. That's, that was my take real quick of who God is, and I could answer yes in the affirmative to all of those. Second question is, am I willing to let him do it? Well, then I had to look at myself, and that's a little different deal. So here's what I found when I looked at myself. Do I limit God by the way I think? Yes. Sometimes I look through the world's lens or the worldview and not through the spiritual lens and the spiritual view. Do I walk in humility occasionally? Is it about me or is it about him? Do I give glory to God for the things I do sometimes? Do I believe God is not limited by time or space? Yes, I do. The spiritual is not limited by the physical? Yes. Do I walk in faith and not doubt? Sometimes. I can't explain it but I believe it sometimes. Do I remember that without him, I am just a grain of salt? I mean, a grain of sand. Yes, sometimes. Well, anyway, those that was two questions, and I'd, all that other stuff came from that. I, I'm looking, I bet some of y'all are wondering, well, if you were doing that, doing that what was Catherine doing? Was she having any fun? <laughs> she was. We we enjoyed ourselves thoroughly. Let me tell you that this was this developed over the week, of course. Well, anyway, so I leave you on this moment with a question: Is God big enough or able to lead you through your struggles and doubts? And two, are you willing to let Him do it? So I pose a question to myself. I'm going to let you pose that question to yourself. Now let's move forward. I've got two stories here I want to look at in the Bible. And the first one is the feeding the 5,000. Uh, y'all are all familiar with that miracle. And I hope that by looking at these two stories, that it, it, it will illuminate more how big God is and how it's, it's a big deal. And he's able to do answer these questions we have. So let's start. Um, what's interesting about the feeding the 5,000, I was amazed you realize it is recorded in all four Gospels. It's the only miracle other than the resurrection that is recorded in all four Gospels. It's a big deal. 
And you know what's even more interesting, that he fed 4,000 more later in his ministry at another part of Israel, and it's recorded in two of the four Gospels. So this feeding business and the feeding miracle is a big deal for, for it to be talked about twice in the Bible, but in all the Gospels. So another little tidbit, you know, it was feeding the 5,000. Well, that was 5,000 men. Now, the scholars believe that there were probably fifteen to 20,000 people, mamas and children and dads and all, and at, at the site that this feeding happened. So just imagine as we go through this that there are fifteen to 20,000 people gathered for Jesus to perform this miracle. So I'm going to start. The, the, one of the best, well, the, all four accounts were great, but I chose to use a lot of John's version of the miracle. But what I'm going to do, we're going to read a little bit of John 6, 1 through 15. And I'm going to stop at a couple of places, and then I'm going to read some of the accounts from the other versions, and you'll see why in just a second. So uh, Jesus has been out in the countryside. He's been out there doing miracles. People are talking about him, and they get, they're trying to follow him. So we pick up in John 1, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Sometimes after this, Jesus crossed to the far, far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by his he, the healing, the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. This Jewish Passover festival was near. So I'm going to stop right there. And then I'm going to jump over to Matthew, but we're going to come back to John. In Matthew 14, 14 through 6 says it this way. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And I love that because two of the versions use that word, had compassion. And even in the when you fed the 4,000 later, they both used the word, he had compassion. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now let's go back to, to John. John 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he, or Jesus, for he, Jesus, already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, It would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did, he did the same with the fish. Let's cut in there, and I'm going to go to Luke 9, 6, and it says, Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the bread. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. Uh, the three other three Gospels said, looking up to heaven. I thought that was really cool. John didn't, but the other three did. He looked up to heaven. He gave thanks. It made me think of him saying, I do what I, what I see my father do. I do what my father says. I look up to I wonder if that wasn't part of it. A question. 
Going on with uh, John, John 12, when they <clears throat> all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. I said, oh, that is so cool, nothing be wasted. Here we go, and we're going to get into it, a miracle going on, and he wants nothing wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. You know, when I thought about that miracle, yeah, really, I said, let, let me break, let's break it down a little bit. And so we're going to break that miracle down around a little bit, and, and, and I'm going to raise some questions, and I'm going to have to leave them on your desk, okay? I gave a little thought, and the number of the first miracle is the food. I call it the food and possibilities. Obviously, that's the one we think about, the food. He had the bread. He somehow miraculously, uh, as somebody called it once, miraculous multiplication. He miraculously multiplied it to feed the whole crowd. They were all filled, and every time he fed, it kept growing. He fed more. The mountain kept growing. It grew so it had leftovers. Amazing. Nothing wasted. Now, I, I contend there are two more little miracles involved in this whole big deal. I call one of the, the people impossibilities. What's that? You know, I was looking at all these people. you got fifteen to 20,000 people on this hillside that somehow got there, and I asked the question to myself, and I'm asking to you to think about how did they find out about this? They didn't have cell phones. They had nothing. How did they find out other than word of mouth? I mean, God God was doing something in this mix. Uh, Where did they come from? Because this was a remote place according to the scriptures. How did they travel the distance in such a short time? This whole thing happened in just like that in a day. It just came together. A big deal. And also, what made so many of them leave home? I don't have the answers for that. Maybe you do. And when Bob calls on you next week, that's when you can tell us about it. Another, the third one is the logistical impossibilities. You know, I'm kind of a practical guy, and this one kind of hit home. Logistical impossibilities. How did they distribute the food? Now, they had this food from the miracle, but how did they distribute it? How did 12 disciples and others distribute this to 15,000 people? you got to realize the word gives you the impression they kind of got gathered up probably 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and they were finished right before dark. Now, come on. How'd they do that? 15,000 people. Uh, and then they also picked, cleaned up and picked up all the leftovers. And what did they do with the leftovers before they spoiled? I don't know. How'd they maintain order with 15,000 hungry people? You know, and, and then the last thing is, how did they do this all in those few hours of time? It was a God thing. I asked Catherine uh, when I was looking at this, I asked, and this was after the beach. I didn't ask her this at the beach. I asked Catherine, I said, hey, Catherine, if, if all of Selma showed up tomorrow at 4 o'clock in our front yard for dinner, what would you do? Well, she could imagine the answer. I could ask anybody that question. But that's what happened. Jesus is sitting on that hillside, and fifteen to 20,000 people walk up and said, we're hungry. And he says, no problem. Now his disciples, they had a different attitude. 
The characters in this story, well, who are our main characters? We've got four. First one, of course, is Jesus. As the scripture says, he was full of compassion. So he was, the, he was the loving God sitting there, and he cared about the people. You know, he knew where the, this feeding was headed, obviously, because he said it to, to Peter, to, uh, to the disciple. And he also knew about the limitations of his disciples. And we'll look at that in just a second. But he used those disciples to accomplish this miracle. How about the people? They all had needs, and obviously the one that's told in the story is a, is a hunger need. But what about the spiritual need? And that was a big deal. And to really get the picture of that, we need to lead, read a little bit further in John. And so I'm going to read a little bit of more John. But first you need to realize that once this miracle was over and everybody had been fed and satisfied, he dismissed them. And the disciples went on and got on a boat in the water, and Jesus went to the mountains. And during that night it was when they had a storm, and Jesus walked on the water, got to the boat, you know, did that miracle. And then the next morning they landed on land. And when they landed on land the next morning, the people came running again. And so we're going to pick up at John. It's going to be John 6, uh, starting at verse 35 through 37. And when they found Jesus on the other side of the lake, that was the people, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus said, very, very, I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of, of approval. It tells you a lot about what happened. Is the people were so focused on their need, their hunger needs, a lot of them missed the spiritual deal. Guilty myself. Anybody else in here? Yeah, we all we all do that. That's part of that can be part of that list we're talking about above. Am I willing? Well, what do I let get in the way? This is an example. So there's an example of where a physical can, let's say, block out the spiritual. A simple one, hunger. Third character, the little boy. And, and, and I'm just, I, I, I'm just, I just sit and just been wondering, why did the Lord have a little, he had fifteen to 20,000 people there, and why did a little boy only have the bread and the fish? No adults obviously had anything, but the little boy had the bread and the fish. Why him? You know, I don't know. I, I, made, a, I made a note to myself, was it because of childlike innocence, childlike faith? That was something in the story, I'm sure. But just think about that. Of all that mass of people and all that quick happenings of a miracle, here comes a little boy with fish and bread, and he's the guy. And the Lord takes it, breaks it, looks to heaven, gives thanks, and it multiplies and it multiplies. So, something to think about. Number four group, the disciples. The 12, if you read the scripture there, the 12 disciples there, but there were some other type disciples there too. But the 12 were the main ones. And if you look at the scriptures, you can see that they missed part of the big picture too. 
because they expressed a lot of doubt in the scriptures, and we're going to look at them. And so I want to go back to, I read you just a second ago, Matthew 14, 15. And in that verse, the disciple said, There's a remote this is a remote place, and it's already late. Send the crowds away. Can you hear the, the tone in that of there's not enough time? He's saying there's not enough time. That's what he says. Now, in, uh, that was, uh, now look at Philip in John 6 again. Look what he said again. Philip, John 6. Philip said, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Can you hear there the not enough money? Two cases of doubt so far. Here's a third one. Andrew and John 6, 9, what did he say? Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Do you hear not enough food? So you have not enough time, not enough money, not enough food. That was the disciples. Doesn't that sound a lot like us in a lot of situations? And just, it's just not enough. I just can't make happen. And Jesus is sitting over there just thinking, you know, okay, I'm, I, I know they're going to do this, but I'm going I'm I'm to make it happen. Looks to heaven, and it happens. You know, the... Uh, That not enough thinking can come from a perspective of limited resources. You know, in, in, in modern, uh, they call it game theory. In modern game theory, there's a thing called z a zero-sum game. And zero-sum game basically means we've got a fixed amount of something. We've got a fixed amount of something. And if I take a piece of it out... All I got left is what I got left. So maybe he gains, I lose. But when it's all gone, it's all gone. And that's called a zero-sum game. And you think about this, disciples were in that kind of mindset, a fixed amount, a fixed amount of time, a fixed amount of money, a fixed amount of food. And it's gonna be, when it's all gone over here, it's all gone. Of course, that's not God's economy. So I was trying to think, how could I illustrate this this morning? And I'm going to try this. Uh, and so, uh, <laughs> okay, here we go. You know, uh, that, that, that fixed mindset, <coughs> limited resources, fixed resources, it's kind of like a pie. I cut four slices in the pie. I come here, and I'm about to do this carefully here. Whoa, I'm going to do it this way. I come here, and I take one slice out. So I give you one, three left. I give three more away, and what do we got? Nothing. It's left. So you give them all away, what do you have? I guess you'd call it the empty tin theory. That's it. We're limited. No more. Done. Over with. 
somebody gained, if this was mine, I lost, I don't have any. I don't have any. It's not enough. That's kind of that zero-sum game. That's that kind of empty ten theology, I guess you could call it. But what's God's economy? There's a term uh, that that's called positive-sum game. And in the positive-sum game, it's described as where basically everything grows. There's a variable that comes in that causes increase. Obviously, in the story we're looking at here today, Jesus is the increase, right? So in his economy, in his world, when you take that one slice out of the pie tin and give it away, you know what happens? The pie gets bigger, and it's more. And it grows, and it grows, and it grows. That's God's economy. That's who he is. That's kingdom thinking. That's kingdom economics. And that's the difference here in this story. The disciples had the limited zero-sum empty pie pan type thinking. You know, it's not enough. It's not enough. Jesus was absolutely not that. He said there's going to be plenty because I am the increase and I can make it happen. And that's who God is. That's why we talk about grace. We talk about mercy because it's abounding. It's boundless. It's in abundance because that's who Jesus is. That's who God is. That's who the kingdom is, is because we're about growing. He's not about destruction. There's a third type of, of, uh, of theory in uh, modern game theory, and it's called negative uh, some game. That's not good. You can imagine. It's really nobody wins type of thing. It's destruction. That would be what Satan would be for you. That's what Satan wants in your life, would be like a negative sum game. He wants things to be taken away, things destroyed, the pie pan crushed. We're not about that. God's about the other. He's about the positive, and it's growing. And that's why we look to the spiritual. The physical leads every one of us into this zero-sum thinking. We all do it every day. That's just who we are. That's that limitation of our flesh. But when you move from that flesh to the spiritual, that oh baby, we got a lot of chocolate fudge to eat. That's right. So, you see how we can limit our understanding by our own thinking and our flesh? It's this, not that. Well, anyway, I want to go to a story in, uh, in the Old Testament. And um, get a drink. You know, I, I just, this 5,000, it was about people, right? It's about all these people. The story that I want to go into the Old Testament is in, is in Habakkuk. And it's about nations. And uh, to give you a little setup here, Habakkuk was in Judah, and Judah was just, it was in the pits. It was bad. It was nothing nice about it. It was it was evil. It was just chaos. It was just everything. And Habakkuk was complaining to God. It made me think about a lot of conversations I've heard and some messages I've heard about us today in America. You know, we got a lot of bad stuff, and a lot of people, 
have said, you know, complaining, you know, when's it going to get better? What's going to happen? And, of course, obviously in the context of the message today, I contend God is big enough and able enough to solve the problem. And so anyway, Habakkuk was calling the Lord and he said, Lord, this is a complaint. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hemmed in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Sounds like some of the stuff we say today, doesn't it? But here's the Lord's answer. And this is, applies to him and it's also a great word of hope for us. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. I get goosebumps when I said that to you. Because that was when I read that a month ago when I was playing like Habakkuk. That's where I ended up. If I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. Well, anyway, he told him. You had Judah. The Babylonians came in, took it over. Ugly times. Babylonians later got destroyed themselves by another nations, and it all kind of got back together. And so here's, here's Habakkuk's prayer toward the end. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day, in our time. Make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And I know, Bob, you've, you've said that before. So there he was call, calling out to the Lord. It's so cool. Then he goes on later and says, and this is after Babylon has gotten involved in Judah. I hear, I hear my heart pounds. My lips quiver at the sound. Decay creeps into my bones and my legs tremble. Yet I will wait patiently. I will wait patiently. In times of trouble, there he is. It's ugly times. But I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, pretty dire, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Can we say that in our struggles? It's hard. It's hard. But God is big enough that we can have confidence in standing there that it can happen. You know, when this is when we're through here, I, I invite everybody to come into the waiting room, and let's uh, let's let's celebrate a little bit of God's multiplication ability, okay? And really, let's celebrate His boundless love, His boundless grace, His boundless mercy, because that's who He is, and He wants us to to realize who He is and also who we are. And I think the best way to finish this up today is to use the words of Jesus. Who else? 
and and uh, in in the end of the uh, John series of the Last Supper, and when he was talking about the bread of life, he said to the people, "Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me." God makes promises. He's faithful.
Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We hope this message has equipped and inspired you to transform people, your community, and the world through the love and power of Jesus Christ. Whether you're from Selma or anywhere you're listening from, we'd love to hear from you. Visit us online at www.bluejeanselma.com. Thank you.